All right, well, this, this morning, the sermon is titled Plant Philippi, and I wanted to put an autocorrect, or in parentheses, the autocorrect God, um, but that wouldn't fit in our bulletin so well. Um, how many of you guys have had uh, a, a moment like this when you were texting with someone you knew well? Um, a friend of, I asked, uh, I, I polled on Instagram some different people of what they, um, maybe this happened to them, and a good friend of ours, me and Caleb, wrote back, this is something that happened to them. Me and Caleb, I did their premarital counseling, they're, they're married, and she writes to her husband Caleb a lot with that pet name, Babe, and she says, I love you, Babe, uh, but it auto-corrected to Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Bob, and <laughs> apparently it happens a lot, uh, <laughs> and so he always writes back, who is Bob? <laughs> Has that happened to you, something like this, some autocorrect? Well, let me give you a few examples here. Um, uh, these are real-life texts. Uh, and so, can't wait to see you, babe. There's the word. Hurry up and get here. Woohoo! it's Friday. Screw the gym. I'm getting pregnant tonight. Uh, shouldn't we talk about that first? Ha-ha, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I wrote Pringles, and it autocorrected to pregnant. <laughs> so they thought they were saying... Yes, I'm getting Pringles today. <laughs> and it turned out pregnant, and they said I almost had a heart attack. Very different responses <laughs> if it was Pringles or pregnant. <laughs> that would change the meaning of that text drastically. The second one here, are you ahead of me? You're ahead of me. All right. <laughs> the second one here is I'm a gangster. I'm a straight-up G. The hamster life is the life for me. <laughs> Stupid autocorrect. <laughs> Been spending most our lives living in the hamster paradise. You know that song. <laughs> I just love the end. Don't make fun of me. <laughs> Don't make fun of me. All right, this last one. This last one. You would not believe the day I had. I devoured a baby in a cat. <laughs> you what? <laughs> Uh, oh, God, delivered, <laughs> delivered, delivered. I delivered a baby to cab. This phone, I swear. OMG. Wow, boy or girl? Gorilla. <laughs> girl. <laughs> uh, I love it. <laughs> I've said some terrible ones before. I didn't post any of mine. <laughs> ah, that's so good. Well, today, we're going to see... God's autocorrect <laughs> is so much better than our phone's autocorrect, right? Uh, whereas our phone makes misses and, and what we want it to say, it, it frustrates us. God actually takes our frustrations and our missteps and, and, and autocorrects that of what we say and what we do. It actually uses it for his glory, right? And not in a funny, embarrassing way, <laughs> but in the glorious, saving, and beautiful way. And so please stand for the reading of God's word. We're looking at Acts 16, verses 1 through 15, and Shirley's going to read for us. Malcolm, will you give her the microphone? Is it on? Come on up here, Shirley. <laughs> Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia, Phrygia <laughs> and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, get, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct village to, I mean voyage, I'm sorry, to Samotheus, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to the house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Shirley, you did great with those names. Seriously. Hey, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for uh, your word. God, we thank you that we don't just come just to hear an opinion. Lord, we get to come and we get to, to feast, not just on some delicious tacos and boba, <laughs> but Lord, on your word. Uh, and so, God, we ask that that, that would satisfy our, our souls. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. This um, We've been walking through the book of Acts for some time now. If you um, have been with us for a while now, it's been since the beginning. And so what we've seen in the book of Acts uh, is it really it's just a bunch of firsts, right? It's, it's the first time some, everything feels so important because it's the first time something happens here. And so Jesus dies, he was resurrected, and then before he goes off to, to, and flies up to heaven, he, he commissions this, this band of ragtag believers that he calls the church. And so the first church comes out of that. And, and, and that's why we care about this book so much, because we want to say that we're it, right? <laughs> that God is using us. His, his plan to reach the world, his plan A is the church. And, and so the church is on the move. It's spreading the good news. We've seen the Holy Spirit at Pentecost uh, being poured out. We see our, you know, our first trial and first tribulation. And that actually is what ultimately pushes the church out to what Jesus commanded them to go do, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to all Samaria and to all of the ends of the world. Uh, but as the gospel goes out into the world and, and we start including the nations, including them with the Jewish people, we start to realize there's a, 
there's a little friction, right? We have a little friction between the nations and the Jewish people. And so there was this big council, right? There was this big council where the Gentiles or the nations were trying to decide, do they need to be circumcised uh, to become Jewish, to be truly saved? Is that, is that part of that? And as we saw Paul, who's our, our, our hero, Paul is the, the one who, who's fighting tooth and nail over this, saying, absolutely not. <laughs> right? Are you crazy? We can't add anything to salvation. And if you do, I'm going to punch you in the face and I won't feel guilty about it. That's in our scriptures. So that's settled. Total freedom. But don't use your freedom to offend and hurt others. And so Paul and Barnabas go back down from Jerusalem and go back to Antioch and they share the, the news of the council. You know, we don't add anything to the salvation, uh, but we believe that you should abstain from certain foods and sexual immorality right? And so then as we heard last week, there was this painful split uh, in the church leadership. You had uh, Paul and Barnabas just go different ways. And, and just to think about how painful that might have been, right? right? Barnabas was the only one who would vouch for Paul when Paul first believed. And everyone's like, I don't want anything to do with him. He's probably going to murder us, <laughs> right? And so Barnabas was the one who vouched for him. Barnabas is known as the encourager he was his spiritual mentor. And then they split. And so that had to have been a painful split. And so you're like, man, Barnabas sounds like a good guy, but Paul, I don't know, he seems pretty called to this. He's written like half the New Testament, so you know. Uh, but there's this painful split that happens. And today, on, on our one-year anniversary, uh, we get to then follow Paul as he plants a church. And so as we're celebrating the church plant, we get to follow Paul as he plants a church uh, in Philippi. The, the church planter, Paul, reveals to us that, that for a church plant to be successful, every church plant needs these three things. It needs a team, it needs a vision, and it needs a target. All right? A team, a vision, and a target. Um, Jake, would you pull up the map here? So Paul leaves, right? He, 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 they're, they're coming down from Jerusalem Council. They go to Antioch to, to deliver the news there. And, and that's, that's where our passage picks up here, right? This is, this is his journey, this purple line here after the red line here. Um, that, that, that he's going to go on here in a second. And so he leaves Antioch on this journey with Silas in Syria and Cilicia, uh, to strengthen the churches. So in verse 1, Paul also came to Derbe and Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So why did Paul grab this dude, Timothy? Well, in verse 2, it says he was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul is gathering this dream team together, right? This is like Avengers assemble. We need Hulk. We need Captain America. We need them all right? Or he's like LeBron, not, not LeBron in Cleveland. He's like LeBron in Miami, where he's like, I, I can't do it myself, so I got to get all these people here together, right? So he's got the superstars all coming together. And, and it says that, that Timothy was well spoken of. Think about this. This is before social media, before the internet. He's well spoken of in towns 30 miles away that people are going, they're hearing about how good of a man Timothy is, this is the type of guy that, that you, your parents are then saying, I wish you would look up to Timothy. Maybe you guys could grow up and be like Timothy more. And so then everyone hates Timothy, right? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Everyone loves Timothy. He's this guy that everyone wants, wants to be like. His, his, 
He's being very renowned. But we also learn that Timothy uh, is also biracial, right? It says that he's got a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And so if your mother was Jewish and you were not circumcised, it was assumed that you then were apostate, that, that you, you didn't want to have anything to do with that good time old religion, that you wanted to break away from that. And so that, that's what happens here. Um, and remember, we just had the council that says you don't have to be circumcised. Paul has been making these really good arguments that circumcision is extra to salvation. It's not essential for it. And what's the first thing Paul does after coming out of that castle? Let's circumcise him. <laughs> like, Paul, <laughs> I'm guessing people in that council were frustrated with him. We just fought for this. <laughs> I backed you up, man. <laughs> I backed you up. We, why you got to go and do that? <laughs> and then verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because, because of the Jews who were in those places. And so do you see what's happening here? It wasn't a salvific issue. It wasn't, a, it wasn't what's essential to salvation that he, he circumcised him. It wasn't salvific. It was missional. What's it going to take to reach the Jewish people? Well, this is going to be a stumbling block as we go into these Jewish synagogues. Now, in a perfect world, this would not be a stumbling block. In a perfect world, we would would get over this, but we're, we're not in a perfect world. We're in a world where fallen humanity is looking for any reason to reject the gospel. And so, Timothy, a 20 year old man at this time, undergoes this procedure. Now that's commitment. <laughs> hey, we're starting this new church. <laughs> One thing you need to do. <laughs> oh, how sold out are you for this church plant? <laughs> how sold out are you? Timothy is willing to do whatever it takes. But that, that's, not, that's not really the emphasis here. The emphasis isn't on whatever it takes. It's on contextualization, right? It's on contextualizing to the culture that they're going into. And so remember, what does Paul do first when he goes into every city? The first place he goes to is the synagogues. Good. And so it's, it's a place of Jewish worship. And there, there's, there's, a, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 9 uh, where Paul is, is writing to one of his other church plants. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And he says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I mean, can you feel the heart (laughs) and the warmth that Paul has for the people he's trying to reach? I mean, do, do you feel the passion and the love for human beings created in the Imago Dei and the image of God? And so if you go into a Jewish setting today and they say you need to wear a hat, you just do it. (laughs) You wear a hat. It's not that big of a deal. If you go into a Muslim setting and and you have to sit on the floor, 
You just sit on the floor. It's, it's a culturally neutral thing that you say, that doesn't offend me. That's just great. Let's, let's love the people around me. Out of love for them, I will bend to this culture, right? Now, okay, if you say, what if it's not neutral? What if, you know, what if I can't be called to be an illegal arms dealer to reach the illegal arms dealers, <laughs> right? There, there's some limits to that. You know, make sure we're within, you know, the rest of scripture here. But, but Paul is being culturally flexible in how he reaches people, and yet he's rigidly stubborn on the gospel. Isn't that great? That, that he has this fixed theology, but a flexible methodology. Oh, I wish that was true of us, that we would have a fixed theology, that what we believe about God is not changing. We have a flexible methodology in the ways we want to reach people in this world. And so with this new team complete, they go on strengthening the churches, and then in verse 5 it says, they increased in numbers daily. All right, so now besides a team, a church plant needs a clear vision. And we get that in verse 9. In verse 9, this is what we call the Macedonian call, right? A vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia who was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's how I imagine the voice of this man. (laughs) He's like from Scrooge. (laughs) Come... We don't know. You, you can't say I'm wrong. All right? <laughs> All right? So this is the Macedonian call that not every single one of us is going to get, but I think every single one of us wants. I think we all want a dream where God says, here's what I want you to go do. We've been asking God, should I do X, Y, and Z? Please listen, answer me, Lord. And we're asking for it, and we may not get it. Right? This is... Um, this makes me think of the time when Kristen and I went to church planting assessment back in 2018. Uh, and this was a, this is a scary week. It's a whole week where these, these assessors assess you. <laughs> and they weigh you. Are you worthy to plant a church plant? <laughs> and you have been found wanting. <laughs> Be gone, right? Like that was the fear coming into it. And it was just so much so much anxiety building up to it, but the, the week of was actually beautiful. It was this beautiful week, and we realized these people were asking the questions that we're asking here, like, you know, do you, do you have a team? Do you have a vision? Do you have a target? You know, like all these things that, that we want to be thinking through. Um, but one of the most important ones that they wanted us to see was, do we have a clear vision? Like, they want to know, like, do you actually have this calling this vision that God's called you to do this are you called to do this and I'll tell you what I told them and I shared with some of you guys on social media yesterday Um, one day our youngest son Jordan who may be asleep right now (laughs) no he's not Uh, our one our our youngest son Jordan came home from school wearing this camouflage t-shirt and it was on me he may have worn that twice already that week <laughs> at school, and I was, that's what made me think of it. But he'd been wearing it a lot, and so I just said, Jordan, you really like that shirt, don't you? And I think he was thinking this was a game. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he's like, you know why? <laughs> I said, no, why? He said, because Bobby has this shirt. And I said, oh, is Bobby a friend of yours? And he said, yeah, and he has brown skin and curly hair, too just like me. And 
that moment, <laughs> I just felt like our hearts just melted and said, we knew this is important. We've been saying this is important, but this, this, at this moment, we said we have to change. <laughs> that, that we need more representation for our children so that they don't just have to find the one kid in their class <laughs> to have the one shirt that they constantly wear over and over and over again. We want to be in a multicultural setting. And so that was, that, 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 that was one of the first dominoes for us. Same time, I've been reading these books on church planting. I don't know why. <laughs> and I started reading about when you plant churches, the, the research shows that typically when you do so, you see three times as many conversions in church plants than you do in existing churches. And I just said, I want more of that. I want to see more of that happening in my life. And so we were having this just renovation of, of one of our ecclesiology of what, what we think the church should look like as well as our missiology of what we believe that the, the mission of the church is. And we felt like those thing, two things were now, were now com, coming together here. And we felt this deep, intense, burning desire to, to plant a church in a diverse setting, to be a multicultural church for the kingdom. And so that was our Macedonian call. Thank you, Jordan. But God isn't always doing Macedonian calls. We, we, I know that that, that is a, that is a, a normal thing. I mean, let's try it right here. I'm, I'm sure some of you guys have done this before. You guys ever opened the Bible halfway and said, Lord, what do you have to teach me today? <laughs> let's do that right here, on the, right now. We got the scriptures ready. Okay, let's see. Um, <laughs> Exodus 23:19. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Not helpful. Thanks, God. <laughs> let's try another one. Oh, let's see. Proverbs 31.6. Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. That's not really making sense. I was asking whether I should take an internship or not. <laughs> but I like the theme of that passage. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I'll apply this deeply. <laughs> but isn't that the beautiful thing about our passage here? Is there, is there is one clear call that happens in verse 9. But the rest of it doesn't feel that clear. I mean, if you look at our passage, it, the, the, the passage begins with Paul saying, here's my team. I got my team even in the last chapter. All right, my team is going to be me and Barnabas, and we're going to go visit the churches. Oh, okay, not Barnabas. All right, just me, just me and Silas, and that's all I need. Just me and Silas. Oh, wait, there's Timothy. Oh, he's not circumcised. Okay, never mind. Oh, he's getting the procedure done? Okay, cool. All right, so all I need, all I need is just me and Timothy, uh, me and Silas and Timothy, and that's it. That is our church planning team. I've got a clear vision for this. And then in verse 10, Luke enters the scene. <laughs> the author of the book, he's also a physician. And they're like, hey, I'm a doctor. I might be helpful for your church planning uh, team here. And so then in verse 10, it says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. And so now Luke, the author of the book, enters into the story. And so <laughs> now it's very clear. I've had this clear call, this clear team. It's going to be me. It's going to be Silas. It's going to be Timothy and Luke. And that's it. And I've had that vision from the beginning. And I have the same vision about the, the people I'm going to reach, where I'm going to go. It's been a clear plan from the beginning. We're going to go visit the churches. Yes. That's the end of chapter 15. Chapter 16, maybe we won't visit the churches. <laughs> We're going to go somewhere else. <laughs> 
And it feels like a game of pinball. I mean, if you want to pull up the map here, um, while I, I'll, read, I'll read it. You can maybe follow along with the map there. It says in verse 6, And then they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so they thought they were going to Asia. Okay, maybe not. And then they had come to Mysia, and they attempted to go to Bithynia. And then the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. They thought they were going there. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And so it just feels like a Monty Python movie here. Like, it feels like they're saying, like, we're going to Asia. Yay, Asia. <laughs> oh, wait, never mind. We're going to Bithynia. Yay, Bithynia. Nope, Jesus said no. <laughs> okay, guys, we're walking a long way. This is a long journey we're taking here. <laughs> what are we doing? We're going to Troas. Nope, nope, nope. Macedonia. <laughs> okay, okay, we're going to Macedonia. It, it just feels like they don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> but sometimes God says no. He says no to the north, he says no to the west, and he uses both circumstances as well as rational means as well as supernatural ways to reach us. He gives the supernatural vision in verse 10 of the Macedonian call at verse 9, and then in verse 10, what do they do? Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It says they concluded this, which means literally that they added it up. Well, if you just had a call from God, if Paul just came back and said, I had this vision from God, don't you just trust it? Paul spoke to the team and said, here, I had this grand vision, but let's test the spirits and let's pray if this is from the Lord or not. And so we concluded, we used our rational brains to decide this. And so you don't, in Christianity, you don't have to check your brains at the door. And so some of you may be in fear about what's next. Like, I, I feel paralyzed with all the decisions that are in front of me. What do I need to do next? I might, I, I'm scared I'm going to take the wrong step. And let me give you a quote from a famous missionary named David Livingston. And he says, without Christ, not one step. But with Christ, anywhere. <laughs> without Christ, not one step. But with Christ, anywhere. Meaning you're free to follow Jesus wherever he may lead you. You're free to follow that. Or as Kevin DeYoung wrote, we can stop pleading with God to show us the future and start living and obeying like we are confident that he holds the future. <laughs> oh, Lord, may that be true of us, <laughs> right? He goes on to say, not because the future is known to us, but because it's known to God, and that's all we need to know. So we, we may start obeying and trusting that he actually knows the future. I don't trust that he knows the future, and I, I'm anxious, and I worry, and I fear. But what we're seeing here is this pattern of just following God wherever he may lead, and he's going to auto-correct your life. He's going to auto-correct your lives in good ways. God's going to auto-correct you that you can just walk into freedom, that you know, when we're afraid we're going to make a wrong decision, that we're fearful, that that decision is going to have long-lasting effects. Well, we see that God has this auto-correct on our lives. It's better than the phone. It's better than that where it takes something that we thought it was going to be and messes it up to something we don't want it to be. He takes our messed up plans and makes it what, we want it to, what he wants it to be. Right? He's auto-correcting for our good and his glory. <laughs> What I thought Mosaic was going to be a year ago is not what I thought it, what it is today. It is far more abundantly, more beautiful and glorious, and you guys are awesome. <laughs> right? This, this is something we go, thanks, thank you, Lord. <laughs> 
you're doing something that I didn't plan. I had, a, I had very different plans, <laughs> much smaller plans. And so, so Paul's got the team, he's got this vision, and finally we get the target. And it's not just where we need to go, but it's who are you trying to reach? Who was God after? And well, the, the first launch team member of Mosaic Philippi was an Asian woman named Lydia. And so God brings Paul to Macedonia, and the gospel finally comes to Europe. But it specifically comes for one person, and it comes for Lydia. Look at verse 13. Now on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And so it says that they sat down, meaning it must have been a small enough group that they could have a, a conversation with, um, that they, they, they traversed this large map to now sit down with this small group of women having a Bible study. And then in verse 14, we get we introduced to who God's after. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. All right, so Lydia was, was well off, right? It says that she was a seller of purple goods, which means purple clothing, that, she had, that, that they had this purple dye that was really expensive to make. And so it, 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 it took so much work to, to get this purple dye into the clothing that it was, in a sense, it's, she's like selling Prada or Gucci, right? This is high-end stuff that she is selling. And so she's got money. She's the CEO of her own company. She probably has a flat in downtown. She probably has multiple cars and multiple airplanes. Right? Maybe not. But she has her own home, which is pretty big at that time. But she is selling beautiful luxury goods to beautiful luxury people. She's just in a different stratosphere than Paul. <laughs> that you wouldn't think he, she would ever talk to Paul. But it says also that she's a God, or that she's a worshiper of God. And that specific term there is a God-fearer, which is which is one who is a Gentile who has left polytheism to now worship the God of, of the Bible. Right? And so this woman is altogether admirable, right? She's well off. She's converted to Judaism. She's sitting in a Bible study. But she needs the gospel. This is the wild thing. If we think of, of God's target, of him trying to, I mean, look at that map again. That, that he left, they left Jerusalem to Antioch, and they're going out, and they're saying, who is God after? And he's going all the way across. And where, where are we at? Where at? Philippi, way over there in the very left corner, that he's trying to meet Lydia. He's going all over this to meet this one person, Lydia, that God is doing all of this for her. And, and we start thinking, okay, let's go to this woman who seems pretty good, seems pretty admirable. Does she even really need the gospel? We're going to go all the way across this map to reach someone who doesn't even look like they need the gospel. But isn't that just like God? <laughs> The gospel comes for those who we think need, need it the least. That, that sometimes that, that religious people need the gospel more than anyone else. Had a lot of amens on that one. <laughs> a lot of angry people at <laughs> the religious people here. He came for someone who by all standards didn't need the gospel. But she needs to hear without the work of Christ, you are more destitute than the most destitute human being in the world that you need Jesus. The gospel comes for the religious first at Philippi. And how did he do it? In verse 14, the Lord opened her heart 
to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Mm, the autocorrect God. <laughs> He's always working here. He's even autocorrecting our hearts, <laughs> right? Like this, God's been at work 100% of the way. 100% of the way. Let's just show off what God's doing here. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit forbade them to go into Asia, which they'll go into later. Then, then it says the Spirit of Jesus stopped them from, to, from going into Bithynia, and then God called them in verse 10 to go to Philippi. So it's 100% God's work. And then when it comes here to reach this woman, it says the, the Lord opened up her heart. It's 100% God here. All God. And so I just want to ask you, is there someone that you're worried about that you're like, man, will God ever reach them? <laughs> what can we do? Let's pray to God. <laughs> Let's pray God reaches them because he's the one that's actually going to be able to do it. Won't he do it? Yeah. And it says that he opened her heart. It says to pay attention to. And this isn't just logical going, I'm, I'm listening to. That literally means that she became attracted to it. She became attracted to the message. And so I love the beauty here that this woman of beauty that made her living on beauty had an aesthetic experience, right? Like, like her business was beauty. She sold beautiful clothes to beautiful people, but she had never seen a beauty like this. And then she was baptized and said she wants her home to be the site of future ministry. And so here's what I want you to see here, that the, the Lord goes through all this trouble and takes this ever-growing mission team, it seems, for what reason? To reach Lydia. Now, next week, we're going to hear about some other people that get converted, but today, God's laser-focused on this one woman named Lydia, that he is coming for her. And I, I just believe that until we can see what God has done for us, and until we can see that he did all of this to reach me, to reach you, that you are his target, all this Christianity stuff is just going to be head knowledge. And we're just going to say, yes, Jesus died for our sins. But until we can say, no, Jesus died for me, that's when it becomes real. Say it for me, Jesus died for me. We got to personalize this. We have to personalize this. And so, I mean, if someone goes through a lot of trouble to celebrate you on your birthday, I mean, think about that if that's ever happened. I mean, don't you feel loved? Like if someone is, is planning event after event after event, and at the end you say, you shouldn't have. I'm not worth it. And Jesus in Christ says, you're worth every penny. You are worth every penny. You are worth the trouble. <laughs> And not just worth every penny, you're worth every ounce of blood that I spilt on the cross for you. You are worth the trouble that I'm coming for you. Jesus takes the wrath of God that we deserve and he takes on himself on the cross and when he dies and in that process, he reclaims your value and, and restores our value and our dignity. And then today God is, needs us to see that he has been auto-correcting so many things in our paths to reach us here today. I mean, think back of your own story. Think back of your own story, how God reached you. Isn't it amazing that God reached you? You? <laughs> we got to be able to say it that way. <laughs> Only you know your own history. Only you know how God orchestrated things to reach you. That even in spite of your resistance to the gospel, he auto-corrected even that. <laughs> to reach you. 
that you may have gone through even some church trauma, and yet God autocorrected things to reach you, to bring you here, right here, right now. And now today, I want you to be able to see yourself like Lydia, that you're now seeing a beauty that you've never seen before, that he loves you this much. I mean, how beautiful is it? I pray that God opens up some hearts here today. But I don't want us to stop there. I don't want us to stop there. I mean, once God shows you a beauty like that, it's never meant to be enjoyed alone. C.S. Lewis, in his, his Reflections on the Psalms, talks about this way. And he says, when, when you see something beautiful, you see a, 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 a painting or a work of art or even music, you can't help but ask someone to join you in in, in praising it. I mean, like, hey, did you hear about this band? <laughs> did you see this art? The, the process of, of sharing with others to praise it actually makes you enjoy it more. So we, it can't just be just for me and God alone. It's me to say, like, well, now, as we see with Lydia, I'm going to open up my home for what becomes the ground floor of the church Philippi, the, the church plant there that she's been reached, and now she is sharing it with others. I mean, have you seen this? She gets converted, she is baptized, and then she shares the good news with the people around her. Some of you here today are Lydia, and you've been reached through the church. And some of you here today have been reached through this church. Oh, Lord, what a beautiful thing. This is what we've been praying for. That your heart has come alive. And we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that at the beginning of next month. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to have baptisms. It's going to be gorgeous. We're going to have a party, maybe with more boba. But we can't stop at that moment there. That just conversion isn't it. Because God doesn't just stop at saving us. He then uses men like Timothy and brings them on his team. He disciples Timothy. He ends up writing two letters to Timothy. We, we, we quoted one of them earlier today. He then raises him up to be a leader in the church. And then he, he raises up Lydia to be the leader in the church to plant a church here. Right? And so, so much is happening because God is auto-correcting things in our lives. And so, I, I just pray that God will raise up many Timothys and many Lydias here at Mosaic Waco. But before any of that, I just pray that you're able to see the many paths and rivers that God has taken, and not just to go across a map to reach one person, but to go from heaven down to earth, to die on your behalf, to be risen on your behalf, to reach you. For us to say that personally again, that Jesus has died for me. Let's say that one more time again. Jesus has died for me. Let's pray.